Hello, Mum. Hola, Senorita Mum's phone. Oh, you're not Mum. It's Montrose Monkington Third Esquire. Oh, hello, Montrose. It sounds like you're out and about. Yes, we're saving seahorses from the jellyfish nets. Where's Mum? Mum's sitting on my shoulders at the moment to stop her hair from getting wet. Oh, okay. Um, well, we're supposed to be recording a podcast. Who is it? I don't know. Who are you? Tell her it's Stacy. It's Stacy. Oh, Mum, stop squirming. You'll, you'll drop the seahorses. I, I, have, I have a mini though. Be careful. Just need to get... Oh, dear. Mum is trapped in a jellyfish net now. She'll have to call you back. <laughs> okay, I'll call her back. Stacey. Hello, Mum. Are you well? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Well, I'm okay, except yesterday I changed the settings on the TV so that people now speak in English and there's Spanish subtitles. So I did that and it worked. That's brilliant. Okay. And then I saw that you could change the language to Latvian. (laughs) So I've done that. And? All the instructions to change settings back are also in Latvian. So that's taking a while to translate. So are you translating it from Latvian to English and then to Spanish? Yeah. <laughs> that is difficult. So and also now, for some unknown reason, SpongeBob SquarePants is now speaking Chinese. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, in this episode, I think we're talking about space. We are the final frontier. The solar system and everything in it. And beyond. What sort of things have you got to talk about today? Uh, I know why my diet's not working. Okay. That's because of the space dust. I'll tell you about that. I've got a very good guess who's not coming to dinner. Oh, that's good. And what do you think was the first living creature to go into space? There's quite a few to choose from. Um, a microbe. Not counting bacteria. It's a proper living thing what drinks water. I think, like, a cat. Okay, so you think a cat. Yeah. Everybody that's listening, just to let you know, it's slightly smaller than a cat. Oh, okay. I've got results of our listeners' favourite planet... Okay. And some brilliant space facts. And we'll also find out what space smells like. Ooh, okay. Does it smell like chocolate? We'll find out later. Let's get cracking. Okay, let's go. Coming from Reading, it's Stacey, your host. While mum's with flamingos on the Spanish coast. You'll find two ladies full of nonsense and laughs. Making a podcast called Rough Giraffe. So, my diet. Yeah. I can't possibly lose any weight. Why? Because apparently there's a hundred tons of space dust falling down on us every day. A hundred tons. Right. My question is, who is weighing the earth? Is, is that a real job? Oh. How do they know? That's a good question. If they say that much is falling down, 
Someone must be catching it and measuring it. So because the space dust is falling down, the earth is getting heavier and heavier every day. Yeah, but how do they know? I don't know, it's just blow my mind. How can you weigh a planet? With, um... See? Oh, I can't think of a good space <laughs> pun. <laughs> Why does the space dust coming down mean that you can't lose weight? Because I'm being covered with space dust. Oh, you think this that all of this hundred tons or whatever it was is falling on you? Do you have your own gravitational pull? I've been known to have my own gravitational pull when I was younger. Oh. I think that some of it is falling on me, maybe like a pound a week. Oh, okay. And not hundred tons, obviously, so I wouldn't be able to get on my bike. But a pound a week. Yeah. It's not Spanish cake or tapas. It's space dust. What are you insinuating? Nothing, nothing. It's it's dusty where you are. I get it. You, you've seen the dust, haven't you? I just thought you weren't cleaning up, but now I realise it's space dust. That is why I'm not losing any weight. Okay. And also because I'm not doing any exercise and I'm eating tapas. Uh, so i'm wanting to do yeah guess who's not coming to dinner we've got three clues okay so i'm going to start off with the first clue and it is he was a canadian who did not wear a kilt canadian did not wear a quilt i was gonna say a quilt not a quilt (laughs) well he would he would have worn a quilt oh right a canadian that wore a quilt and not a kilt okay so, just one clue. I'm only giving you the one clue to start with, and I'm, then we'll do clue two and then clue three. That's why there's three clues. Okay, so we'll have clue two later. Yeah. Mum, I have apple bobbing news. Have you? Yes. Following on from our last episode where we were talking about James Cracknell and the apple bobbing. Oh, are you going to tell me that your mother was right? Yes, you are right. And uh. I... <laughs> I got it straight from the horse's mouth, from James Cracknell himself. Have you really? What did he say? So I said to him, my mum said that you've got a world record for apple bobbing. Hello, James Cracknell. And he said, hey, I was on the Paul O'Grady show years ago. They were doing records and asked me to have a go. If I'm honest, it wasn't that hard a record to beat and I got a Guinness certificate. Pretty sure the record won't still be standing. But give it a go. So I'm guessing the record's been broken now. But you were right, James Cracknell did have a world record for apple bobbing. See, and I saw it on Paul O'Grady then. Why were you watching Paul O'Grady? I love Paul O'Grady. (laughs) Especially when he cries over puppies and goats. (laughs) The next stop will be Rough Giraffe. Do you know there's two golf balls on the moon? I just thought I'd throw that one in. You sure there's not four? Are there? (laughs) It's a golfing joke. Oh, yeah, sorry. (laughs) Who left them there? Mm, Some space people. Oh, okay. That narrows it down. That narrows it down to 12. I like to think that people will do their own research. I would actually like to stop just here and thank our best researcher, John. Thank you, John, because we had a thunderstorm here that got very frenetic, shall I say, wiped out the internet and made all my chairs magnetic. (laughs) 
I even have the photograph of it striking the side of the building. It's very impressive. Well, I was still in it. I don't know why I was stood there with a video camera. (laughs) But as I've had no Wi-Fi, John, instead of just doing a little bit of research, has done all the research for my half of the podcast. So if anything's wrong, you can blame him. All right, then. There are two golf balls on the moon. So we just need to ask John who they belong to. Yeah, all he said was, I think the Sea of Tranquility is a rather large bunker to get out of. (laughs) Buzz Aldrin's mother's maiden name, do you know what that was? No. Moon. Really? Yes. How weird is that? That's a very good fact. So you've had a little think about this. Yeah. What do you think was the first living creature to go into space? Okay, so if it's going to be smaller than a cat, I'm going to say a mouse. Okay, so smaller than a mouse. In fact, in 1947, they sent up some fruit flies in a V-12 rocket that left orbit. Were they piloting the rocket? (sighs) You see, I feel bad. This is how John's let me down. (laughs) Was it a tiny little rocket with the flies flying it? Oh, it's weird. Do you know what? I'm going to turn this one around. Yeah. There were some fruit flies that went to space in 1947. Yeah. And if anybody listening has got an amusing answer to why they went there, there'll be a prize for the best answer. Okay. What other animals have been in space? Well, the usual dogs, rats, chimps, monkeys. There's been a lot of monkeys called Albert. Oh, have there? Why are they called Albert? Albert 1, Albert 2, Albert 3. They don't all come back, you see. Because they enjoy it too much. That's what it is. I'm loving space so much. I'm not coming back. Here are a few of the lesser known species that made space travel. Worms, tortoises, spiders, rabbits, fish, newts, snails, ants, frogs, bees, crickets, butterflies, guinea pigs, moths. Jellyfish. I'd like to see what a jellyfish does at zero gravity. (laughs) Uh, Also wasps and scorpions and a gang of cockroaches. They were not missed on Earth. And it is to be said, survive very well in space. I was very interested in ants in space. Ants in space. I find ants in space quite amusing. I don't know why. Because they did take ants into space and the ants kept sort of losing their grip. (laughs) Not just on reality, but on the surface as well. (laughs) And they would float up for about six seconds and then they would try and grab another ant and pull themselves back down and then they'd go about their business again and then they'd suddenly float off again did they have a spacesuit no they didn't have a spacesuit they were in a little like plastic container i just think what if they got loose and you just got ants floating all around you ants in your spacesuit ants in your space pants yeah (laughs) so there was uh how many ants do you think they sent into space and how many do you think are still there? I think they probably took like a hundred ants. Okay. And how many are still there? I don't know. I don't know if they just chucked them out the window or if they brought them back. Do they chuck them out the window? Is that what they do? I think they just chuck them out the window, yeah. <laughs> In their plastic container. Uh, yeah, because then they'll have a little bit of oxygen and some friends. And they go whizzing off. Whee! 
was enough into space. There's also been just one cat, as far as I know. Oh, okay. It's black and white, and it was a stray from the streets of Paris. Ooh la la. Ooh la la, it's called Felix. They're like, oh, Felix, come on in here. Oh yeah, (laughs) come in, and then... Oh, I'm in space. <laughs> Maybe Felix was a girl. There were also mice. Oh, was was Felix going to get the mice? I don't know, but mice are rather special because they are the first mammals to have given birth in space. Space babies. Space mice. They're like clangers. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I reckon. Ooh. Somebody must have looked at them and looked out the window and gone that noise. They looked out the window, saw some ants flying by. (laughs) Hey you, yeah you, you got something to say, then say it here. Email us at roughgiraffepodcast at gmail.com, Twitter at roughgiraffepod, Instagram at roughgiraffepodcast, search us on Facebook for roughgiraffe. Subscribe and review us on iTunes and Podbean. Thanks. Do you think you could be an astronaut, Mum? Oh, I don't know. Is there a sort of a criteria? Yes. There's no age limit, just so you know. Okay. But you have to be able to swim. I can swim. Why do you have to be able to swim? I don't know. You just have to be able to swim. There's no water up there, is there? Not yet. Okay. You have to be able to scuba dive. Okay. I can put a snorkel mask on. That's fine. All right. That's fine. You have to have a bachelor degree. All right. In engineering, science, biology, mathematics, any of those. What have you got? Horticulture, nursing. Perfect. You're ticking all the boxes so far. Okay. All right. You have to be between five foot one and six foot two. I'm definitely at the bottom end of that, but yes. You have to have 20-20 vision. I've only got one good eye. I think, oh, I've let myself down. And you have to have normal blood pressure. That's me done for. That's it. I could have been an astronaut if it wasn't for these eyes. Oh. That's what's been letting me down all my life. Another dream shattered, I'm sorry. Well, do you know, we're talking about eyes and dreams being shattered. Yes. There was a British astronomer called Percy Lowell. Okay. And he got himself and everybody else super excited. He said... He'd seen canals on the surface of Venus. Okay. So there there was a lot of uh, hype about it. But they later discovered that he'd not set the telescope correctly and he'd actually been looking at the blood vessels in his own eyes. (laughs) 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 So... So you know when he goes, something really, something really amazing has happened. And somebody goes, that can't be true, Percy. Walk away. You should have just done the walk away bit. I, I feel like there's a limerick there somewhere. There was a man called Percy Lowell who on Venus saw a canal. Oh, right, yeah. Owl is the only other thing I can think of. Somebody make us a limerick up about Percy Lowell. Someone else can do better than that. What's your favourite planet? Well, I think the one that we're on now, really. Yeah, sometimes I don't quite know which planet I'm on. <laughs> but I I think out of all of them, this is probably the best. Well, our listeners agree with you. Okay. And they say Earth is the best, but what's the second best? I'm guessing Venus. It's Saturn. 
Oh, yes, because of the... Yeah, that is beautiful planet. It was actually visible a couple of months ago here in Spain. Yeah. The Saturn was rising just behind the moon for a couple of weeks. Wow. And you could see it with a pair of binoculars. Not clearly, but you could tell it was Saturn with the rings. That's amazing. I know. And we got very good Perseid meteor showers here. So we lay out on the roof at night and watch them go over. Do you have much light pollution around where you are? Not where I am now because I'm in a new place and it's very close to the sea so it's very dark in front of me. So no, but where I was before there was a little bit but nothing as to what it was like in Bristol. What about you? Well, we d- I don't think we get to see much here in Reading. I think there's far too much light pollution. It's amazing when you go to a properly dark place and see how many stars there really are. There are quite a few dark sky places now. There's one in Scotland that's been designated a dark sky place. There's one in Wales as well. I can see the Milky Way. Oh, good. So you can see it clear enough to be able to see the strands of the Milky Way. That's amazing. I know. Who's there? Raph. Raph who? Raph Giraffe. Oh, is that supposed to be funny? My mum thinks so. So, Mum, you asked me to ask our listeners whether they would travel to space if they couldn't come back. Oh, no. I'm guessing not many people said they would go. No, 75% of people voted no, they would not go into space if they couldn't come back. But that's amazing that 25% of people still would have a go at it. Yes, I suppose if you'd kind of done everything that you needed to do in life and you really wanted to go into space, you might as well just go, as long as you sort out everything. I have a problem in that I couldn't go on my own because I'd get too lonely. Yeah. But I couldn't go with anybody else because they'd drive me mad. Are you imagining that it just it's just the two of you or are you thinking it's going to be like a cruise ship? Well, I'm, I'm hoping it's going to be more like... I've got my own bedroom, there's a bar, a snooker table, that sort of thing. What if it was a big ship and there were like 5,000 people on this ship? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'd go, absolutely. Even if I'm not coming back. Yeah. Uh... And it's it's got everything on it. It's got swimming pools, casinos, nightclubs... All of those. Okay, but the thing is, can you FaceTime your kids? Oh, yeah. I'll go then. That's it. I think um, if it was really important, if you had a job that was important and you needed to be a part of that fleet that was leaving, and it would make a big difference to whether it succeeded or not, I think you'd have to go no matter what. Would you be interested in going if they wanted you to grow new plants or, you know, do something from a plant point of view? 
Plants in space. Yeah, I would have to go, I think. Because at least then you'd, you'd have something to be doing. Yeah, yes. And then uh, I might find other people that were just as boring as me. <laughs> What's the internet situation like there? Can you get Wi-Fi? Can you get the UK TV in space? Do you need to watch Strictly or something? No, it's satellite TV up there. <laughs> you can have all the channels. It'll be Sky, won't it? I don't know about going up there forever, but would you want to be a space tourist? Depends what you were doing. I suppose if it was just like go up into orbit and have a look down on the Earth, then that's quite interesting. Yes. I wouldn't want to spend months up there. So a space tourist for, say, overnight... Yeah. One Earth orbit and back. Yeah, why not? Okay, so that's around about $250,000 to book your flight. Okay. That flight might not be leaving in any anywhere in the near future. I need to save some pennies. Apparently, enough people have subscribed to allow the research to carry on and fund about 10 flights so far. I suppose if you had loads of money... It's the next step, isn't it? Just say, oh, yeah, let's go into space. I would love to go. How amazing to look down on the Earth and to experience zero gravity, which, as you know, is something on my bucket list. Hey, Stacey. Hey, Mum. It's Sean from the Import Taste Podcast. I heard you all were going to be talking about space today, so I just wanted to call in and give you a few pointers on how to get to orbit. Now, I'm not an astronaut and I'm not a rocket scientist, but I have played a lot of Kerbal Space Program, so I'm kind of both of those things. Anyway, uh, so you want to get to orbit, huh? It's pretty easy. Now, before we get started, I want to point something out that most people don't know. There is gravity in space, so if you shoot straight up, you're eventually going to fall back to Earth. Once you get high enough, gravity is weak enough that the atmosphere thins out to the point where you can no longer breathe it. There's no magic line where space begins and the atmosphere ends. What is orbit? Orbit means going fast enough past a body that you don't hit it when it tries to pull you back in. If you jump right now, you'll go up, stop, and come back down. When you jump, you're moving a thousand miles per hour along with the surface of the Earth. So you'll come back down roughly on the same spot. So, when we take off, we want to be going as fast as possible before we even leave the ground. The fastest part of the Earth on the ground is the equator. That's why NASA usually takes off from Cape Canaveral, Florida. If you've seen a rocket launch, you might be saying, but Sean, they take off straight up from the pad. Yes, they do, but if you watch it for a minute, you'll see it slowly turn to the east. Because of the Earth's rotation, we want to continue moving in the same direction. Otherwise, we'd have to burn a thousand miles per hour just to stop, then another thousand miles per hour to make up for the momentum we just lost. Okay, so you want to go to orbit? First, you need a lot of thrust. You need to go high enough to get out, or mostly out, of the atmosphere. Then you need to go sideways very, very fast. How fast? Over 25,000 miles per hour. That's over 122 American football fields, or around 111 Four, British three, football pitches, two, in one, one second. Zero. And we have liftoff. As we gain altitude, we want to slowly nose over the rocket toward the east. This is called a gravity turn, because gravity itself is what turns the vehicle over onto its side. This means you don't use energy turning the rocket, and you produce far less stress on the rocket itself. Convenient. So, we're gaining altitude, we're accelerating, and everything's looking good. However, we're running out of fuel. What? Don't panic. We're only running out of fuel on the first stage. 
Advanced rockets are made up of stages. The first stage is only to get the rocket moving, and so we'll just disconnect or jettison the first stage and turn on another engine to continue our ascent. As we climb and accelerate and turn, the atmosphere around us thins. It goes from a beautiful blue to a dark blue, and suddenly pinpricks of starlight begin to shine through. The blue deepens into a deep velvety black, and the stars stand out all around us. We shut off our engines. We're in space, but we're not in orbit yet. Our trajectory is still sending us up and away from the Earth, but gravity will take hold once we reach the top of that arc and pull us back down. We're on a suborbital trajectory. The top of our trajectory arc is called our apoapsis. Once we reach apoapsis, we need to accelerate again to push the lowest point of our trajectory out of the Earth. In order to raise the lowest point of our trajectory, our periapsis, we want to accelerate in the direction we're currently traveling, which is called a prograde burn. So, we get to our apoapsis, we burn prograde, and our periapsis rises up to the same level as our apoapsis, and now we're in what's called a stable orbit. Congratulations, you've done it! Now that you're in orbit, you're halfway to anywhere, because all that energy we use to move up and then sideways is actually double the energy it takes to get from low Earth orbit to the moon, or even out of the Earth's sphere of influence. Next time, I'll tell you how you can get to the moon or any other orbiting body without getting lost in space, or having a rapid unplanned disassembly by landing at greater than optimum velocity. Then we'll discuss how to get back to Earth and land without burning up in the atmosphere. See, it's easy. This isn't rocket science. Oh, wait. All right, thanks for listening. This is Sean Kendall from the Import Taste Podcast. If you want to learn more about rocket science, don't tune into that podcast. It's a comedy podcast. Uh, you're not going to learn much of anything at all, but hopefully you'll laugh. If you tune into episode 92, you can hear Stacy from this very podcast. She teaches us about fish and chips, Belle the Lovely Dog's nipples, Sex Pack Ring Magazine, Train Wanking Truggers, Dodgeball Extreme... All right, so I've probably offended your ears. Now back to Stacy and Mum. So I want to give you clue number two. Go for it. So clue number two. He saw combat in World War Two, including the D-Day landings at Normandy, where he was injured by friendly fire. Oh. His most notable feature is his voice. Did it go, Ow! You've shot me. Okay, so we're looking for someone who's a a bit of an older gentleman. Yes. Okay. Is it space-related, by the way? Yes. We'll hear clue number three later, then. Okay. So what else? Have you ever wondered what space smells like? Do you know what? Until you said... No, I haven't. But now I'm thinking you're going to tell me it smells like chocolate, so I am going to have to go. It doesn't smell like chocolate. Your friend and mine, Paul Chomo from the Varmints podcast. Hello, Paul. I love you, Paul. (laughs) He sent an article describing what space smells like. Now, you can't actually smell space because you can't put your face out the window. You can't be an ant. Okay. So the only way that they can smell space is because all these particles get caught on the spacesuits when they're outside. When they bring them in, the spacesuits smell. Wow! They asked lots of astronauts, lots of people that have been out in the space station, they asked them what it smells like and they've amalgamated all the answers down to three main things. Is it urine? No. It smells like hot metal... Okay. Diesel fumes. Right. And barbecued meat, 
Not chocolate. Not chocolate. And this is because of all the dying stars. They give off certain particles and fumes and that's what it smells like. Hot metal, diesel and barbecue. But apparently the moon itself smells like gunpowder. Is that because of the sulphur? It must be. So I thought that was very interesting. Never thought about it before. No. And we had another fact from this, that and the other podcast. Okay. And they say that two metals of exactly the same type will automatically bond together in space. And this is because there's no oxygen or water to separate them. Oh, I see. Yes. So if you've got two pure metals, they just automatically boing. Bond together. Do you mean bond so that you can't ever get them apart again? Yes. Oh. They like meld into each other. Like no more nails sort of thing. Exactly. Just like no more nails. Imagine if you had no more nails in space. Other adhesives are available. It's time for... Uh, rough. 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 Rough giraffe. What's your favourite planet then? I like Saturn and I like Jupiter. I like the moons on Jupiter and because it's got so much gas, there's always a storm on Jupiter. Yeah, I I like the, the red spot. I mean, it's a classic. You can't beat Jupiter's red spot. I think... There could be a, a planet that you might like a little bit more than Jupiter. What's that? Right, well, I'm going to say summer on Earth lasts for... Two weeks? Unless you're in North Wales where five days of sunshine will actually make the news. Yes. So if you'd like to summer to last a little longer, you can move to Uranus. I'm glad you said it like that. thought you were going to insult me for a second then. <laughs> No, Uranus. How long summer on Uranus? <laughs> uh, it's 21 years. Oh, my word. But I want to know, would you get a tan? Um, isn't it too far away from the sun? I think it's very cold. So, it would be fine for, for people who are from Britain, because we rarely measure a summer by the amount of sun we get. No. So you go on your summer holidays and come back 21 years later. Oh, you haven't got much of a tan. <laughs> no, I've been to Uranus. Yeah, okay. Do you know which gadgets or inventions that we use every day were first designed by NASA? Well, first of all, I'm going to say a paper mate pen. Oh, why is that? Because I've got a feeling that before that they were using pencils and they couldn't use biros because the zero gravity wouldn't allow the ink to pump down the ink thing yes Uh, so they had to design a pen that would write upside down and in no gravity and i think it's a paper mate isn't it other pens are available but not if you're going into space i for a long time wondered why uh, he just didn't use a pencil. There is the big myth about that where they say, ha, 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 the Americans were trying to make a, a pen that writes in space and then the Russians just used a pencil. But actually, if you do have broken bits of nib and lead flying around, I'm sure that's not particularly good for the machinery around you so could they not just have used like a wax crayon a wax crayon is a much better idea uh and a big board to write on and nice colors oh yeah 
That would be nice. You could make pictures. Or a China graph pencil, because they don't really break. There were plenty of other things they could use. They didn't need to make this uh, special biro, did they? No, I don't think so. But what else? Memory foam mattresses. <gasps> Did they come from space? Well, they didn't necessarily use them to sleep on. They used memo foam to pad in the astronauts when they were taken off. So they'd be all padded so they didn't get all shaken around. Uh. And it's also there for when they landed again, they were more likely to survive covered in memo foam. So it was basically padding for the astronauts. It's everywhere now. They have it in shoes. You have it on beds. The other thing is the cordless power drill. Oh, I can see that would be a necessity for a spacewalk, yeah? Well, the hammer drill, the cordless power drill with the hammer function, they used it to extract moon rock. Oh. Which you do need, you know, you don't want cables and things flying around. No, I just thought they might have just been like altering the TV aerial or something like that. We need to get BBC One. Hey there, who's that? What's the name of that wonky cat? He looks like an any cat around. Kipper, hey, that's Kipper. Hey, that's Kipper, the wonky cat. Has Kipper got anything to tell us? Oh, yes, Kipper. Hey, hello. Hello, Kips. Kipper is in a good mood today. Kipper is also in a full space suit. <laughs> he is. You could probably hear him. I can hear his feet clumping. He is loving space. There's only ever been one cat in space, Kipper. <coughs> Cats are cleverer than that. They're not just going to willy-nilly go off into space. You go, do you want to go into space? Yeah, right. That one cat only went up there because there was probably a comfy chair in the space rocket. And it was like, <laughs> oh, I'll sit here. And before you know it, it's in space. Okay, what's Kipper got to tell us? I'd like to give a little callback to our last episode when we asked our listeners which songs they would play on cat or dog radio. Oh, yes, I forgot about that. <laughs> What was the results? Carla, theme park films. Our Carla. Our Carla. She said they'd play Meowzart. Oh, God. The Besotted Geek podcast said, What's New Pussycat? Okay. I think they copied us on that one because we said that. And Owen suggested the song. This is really bizarre and I had to listen to it to work out why. But he just said, Loving You by Minnie Ripperton. Okay. Do you know why that would be a good song for cats? Is, is it only the bit goes... Like that? It is that song. Uh, no. Throughout the whole song, they play bird song. It's birds cheeping throughout the whole thing. Uh, okay. Well, that was... That's a well-thought-out song choice. I know. I thought that was a bit weird. Yeah. Who would think about that? Only Owen. So there we go, Kipper. That's what the listeners have said. Now, we have a question for Kipper. Okay. And this comes from the Three Musketeers podcast. Okay. Now, the Three Musketeers podcast also wanted a shout-out for Craig's cat called Milo. So, Kipper, give a shout-out. Hi, Milo. So, the question is, 
Kipper, when it comes to napping, what's the best position to lie in? On your back with your belly exposed or flat on your tummy with your legs outstretched? It's the age-old question, back or tummy? Is the Kipper a back or a tummy person? It depends where he is. If he's out in the garden in the sunshine... He's on his back. Okay. And he gets the sun on his tummy and he loves it. If he's on the sofa with us, then he likes to curl up in a ball. And are there any ever flat out on your tummy episodes? No, he's not really a flat out cat. Poser and Darby were flat out cats, but Kipper's not. He likes to be in a ball or on his back. Okay. Which of those is your favourite, Kipper? Of course, on your back in in the sunshine. You're a cat after my own heart. Kipper, I've got a funny story for you related to space. It's quite a recent new sort of toy for cats, the laser pen. Okay. Now, I know Belle loves a laser, doesn't she? Absolutely. Goes up really mad for it well scientists want to use a laser to guide aliens to earth really yeah there's a paper published in the astrophysical journal which states we could build a laser hot and bright enough to reach the telescopes of alien technology on other planets uh they are assuming that alien technology is going to build a telescope Well, they do say if it's human-like technology, so if it's advanced to where we are now on another planet, they should be able to pick this up. But how do those aliens know that this is a friendly hello laser and not a bad, like, James Bond baddie laser? Well, it's it's a laser. They'll have the police helicopters out straight away. (laughs) What if something gets in the way of that laser as well and then it gets bounced off somewhere? If it gets in the way of that laser it's go- and it's that strong, surely it's just going to be nuked. Yeah, that's what I think. They're using a reflective mirror in this laser, or potentially would, and that's 100 feet in diameter. Right. So this is massive, massive laser. I just imagine like this massive column of light just like beaming up from the Earth and then just wiping out everything that's above it. Uh, yeah, I mean, are they going to start it in space, though? That's what I don't know. I don't know if they're going to start it on the Earth or in space. If they started it in space, well, that's not quite so bad, is it? No, because that only kills space things, then. As long as we're not going to kill anything on Earth. Because my worry is that a plane will go over and it'll be wiped out. Like the International Space Station? Yeah, exactly. I think it might have to start in space. But it also, I wonder whether it will attract cat aliens. Or dog aliens. They'll be chasing it. They'll be like, oh, 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 laser, laser. <gasps> uh, it's all going to end in tears. Does Kipper like a laser? Kipper does like a laser. But the problem with Kipper, and you won't mind me saying this, Kipper. Is he too lazy for a laser? <laughs> he is too lazy for a laser. <laughs> I've seen that cat. <laughs> so thank you for that, Kipper. Before you go, I think you've prepared some wise words for us. Okay. So this is going to be Kipper's wise words. Kipper's wise words. Kipper's wise words. Wise words from Kipper. Thank you, Kipper. 
Those are some wise words. (laughs) (laughs) That was very wise. It was very wise. It's very profound, isn't it? I know. I feel like I'm going to have to give you the last part of Guess Who's Not Coming to Dinner. Go for it. So I'm going to give you the whole thing all the way through. Yeah. He was a Canadian who did not wear a kilt. That's important. Okay. He saw combat in World War Two, including the D-Day landings at Normandy, where he was injured by friendly fire. Yeah. And his most famous feature is his voice. Okay. For most of his career, he was in space without ever leaving the Earth. And he only went out of the Earth's orbit after his death in 2005. Is it a television programme? It is a television programme. I don't know any Canadians. That's my problem. Yeah, the problem is with the Canadian... Yeah. I'll give you another clue. This is an easy clue now. Okay. Because everybody's either guessed it or doesn't have an idea. He helped develop the Klingon language. Oh. Was his voice not his voice? It wasn't the Canadian voice? Not so much, no. Oh. Go on, tell us. So it was James Montgomery Doohan. And who's that? He was Scotty in Star Trek. That's why he didn't wear a kilt. He worked in space all his career. Yeah. But never left the Earth. Yeah. Until after he died when a part of his ashes were sent out of Earth's orbit in a rocket. Oh, that's nice. I wonder how much stuff there is floating around in space. Well, there's quite a few people's ashes, but how many items are in space? I think there's 586 things. (laughs) Okay. All right, that's my, that's my thought. What do you think? I think there are 2,109. Hello, Mum. Hello, Stacey. This is Liam Dempsey from the Spotlight podcast, the Star Trek podcast where the franchise is viewed from the fresh perspective of three non-Trekkies. Now, did you know that in the original Star Trek pilot, the cage, Gene Roddenberry's girlfriend and future wife, Margelle Barrett was Captain Pike's first officer. When Pike was kidnapped, she led a mission to the fourth planet in the town Star Group and proved herself to be a capable leader. However, test audiences allegedly did not like her character because she was too pushy and tried to be like the men, and she was excised from the show as a result. The Star Trek universe finally did get its first female captain with Catherine Janeway in Star Trek Voyager, which aired from 1995 to 2001. If you'd like to hear more about the Star Trek universe, you can find our podcast at Spotlight Pod on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. We'll just end with a bit of unrelated news. Here it is, the unrelated news with Stacey. The headline is, doctors retrieve spoon from man's esophagus a year after he swallowed it. Why a year afterwards? This is from LiveScience.com. Apparently, a man in China had a steel spoon lodged in his esophagus for a year, but it didn't cause him any discomfort, so he just left it there. Mr. Zhang swallowed the spoon for a day in 2017, couldn't get it out again, didn't bother him so he didn't do anything about it until a year later 
when one of his friends punched him in the chest and he suddenly had pain. Did he instantly think that'll be that spoon I swallowed? Ah, spoon. (laughs) I'm sure he was thinking more like, ah, fork. (laughs) And did he have it taken out okay? Three doctors performed the procedure to remove the spoon and it took them two hours. The spoon was eight inches long. My goodness. And yeah, there's pictures of it. If you want to look it up, just look up Man Swallows Spoon uh, for a year. It's it's disgusting. Does it look disgusting? There's an amazing x-ray of the spoon, but the, there's a picture also of a spoon covered in... I don't know what it's covered in. It's making my mouth water, not in a good way. A year's full of detritus. Dried mucus. I cannot believe he wouldn't have felt it at all. I'm sure he was aware of it. He just sort of swallowed around it. You could probably eat quite a lot of soup, noodles, rice. Oh, you know, that'll just be noodles dried on that spoon. (laughs) Noodle spoon. (laughs) Noodle spoon. (laughs) Well, it's been a very interesting subject and I've not even done half of what I wanted to, but we should do another episode just on chimps in space. Yes, I, I like space and we a lot of the listeners really in, enjoy this subject as well. We had a lot of people sending us things. Well, I hope we've done it justice and I just want to end on one little fact. Go for it. That the Earth is the only planet not named after a god. Oh, that's true. Why is it called Earth? Because it's terra firma. I don't get it. Terra firma is Latin for the place on which we stand. And terra is Latin for earth. Oh, okay. Ah, right, fine. Right then, so that's enough from me. And from me. Okay, I think that was a good episode. All right then, so I'll speak to you again. All right, thank you. Bye. Bye. It's the end of the podcast. It is very sad. But tune in again and it won't be so bad. With mum in the villa and Stacey at home. Send us your stories on your smartphone And then everybody won't feel so alone The Rough Giraffe Podcast The Rough Giraffe Podcast This podcast is part of Britpod Scene An independent network of uniquely British podcasts that's always growing Check out BritPodScene.com or BritPodScene on Twitter to find out more.